Well, I asked people for their coffee and bagel profiles. <laughs> so this is Ken Wu. Eligible bachelor. Senior accountant. Hello. Masters from Cal State Fullerton, UCI bachelor's, my alma mater. A bit shy at first, but we'll, but we'll open up quickly once I get comfortable. Seriously, so I need to be a good listener. Ladies, there's like three men in the world that are good listeners, and Ken's one of them. Um, this is Hannah. Good listener as well. Great listener. I'm sorry. Uh, very friendly, almost always dancing in the car, grocery aisle, sweet, silly, easily amused. But at the bottom, you have what she was looking for. Uh, makes me laugh, can be silly, laughs at himself, doesn't take life too seriously. And then she found Gabe Pham. <laughs> Coffee and bagel uh, highlight couple right there. And I, I think, like, when, when we think about how we present ourselves, I remember when I met Nina, I just, I wanted to be, like, super confident. I wanted her to know, like, hey, this is a confident guy. And I, I, I wasn't a very good listener, even though that's really important to women, so men take notes. I just wanted to, like, talk about myself and share my fe- five best stories. And she was recalling when she first uh, hung out with me how she wanted to be, like, this ain't no thing, you know, like, I have guys lined up through the door, so you're lucky to be able to take me out on a date. So that was Nina. Uh, that's what she wanted to communicate. Just this, like, eh, whatevs. Um, but I wonder when we uh, learn about someone else, what we're looking for, I wonder what we're looking for, whether it's confident, whether we're waiting to see if the person in real life matches their profile picture, uh, whether we are interested in their education or earning potential, and what we put out about ourselves, right? What we want to say, whether we're adventurous, here are my hobbies, or whether we're family-oriented, or we give them some of our jokes and see if they laugh. But I wonder if anyone has ever put down, like, I get bullied a lot, (laughs) you know, I'm super humble, I, I'm grieving. I'm currently depressed. Uh, I get bullied because that happened t- multiple times in my life. Uh, I'm needy at heart, right? And I want to be a good person, but I'm not. Like, who, who would ever write that in a coffee and bagel profile? Or on the first date, just be like, I cry a lot, you know? Like, who, who writes that? But what's interesting to me is, you know, if Jesus had a coffee meets bagel profile um, for followers and Christians, what would he be looking for? And it's these things. Isn't that crazy? That if Jesus was reaching out and saying, here are the people I'm looking for. Here are the people that are compatible with me and my kingdom. I'm looking for people who are persecuted. I'm looking for the meek. I'm looking for those who are grieving looking for the poor in spirit who have a needy heart. I'm looking for people who want righteousness but know they can't obtain it. And I think this is surprising because it's not what we look for. It's not what we highlight about ourselves. It's not what the world celebrates. These are the rejects. And when you think about those who follow Jesus, it really, they were the rejects. 
Um, and then we think about what Jesus is offering to people in this Beatitude series. Crazy things like seeing God, that you would get to see God in this relationship with Jesus, inherit the earth. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Be a part of God's kingdom, receive comfort, mercy, and righteousness from God, and getting gifts from God. Right? What does a God gift look like? That's what it means when, when Jesus is saying to store up treasures in heaven, that from the hand of God, you will get a gift. I mean, I have different expectations of gifts from different people. If my son gives me a gift, it's probably going to be saliva filled, right? But I went to visit my other friend who uh, is extremely wealthy, more wealthy than anyone I, I can like know. Like all of my other friends, all the people I know in life, if I combine their wealth, he is more wealthy than them. So when he gives me a gift, which he has multiple times, I'm just I'm expecting stuff. Like, like, he gave me, like, $2,000. I'm like, why isn't there another zero here? You know, like, I was upset. Uh, I mean, not me, but the church. I was just like, 20000 come on, that's nothing. Um, gifts from God. What the heck does that mean? Because we make fun of treasures in heaven, right? We're just like, oh, you'll get a treasure in heaven. Ha ha, you missed out. But... I think when we get in heaven, that will sober up about that. Because God's going to give us something he finds valuable. All right, here we go. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1, if you have your Bibles. We're, we're moving into the first um, sermon Jesus gives. He gives five sermons in the book of Matthew. And in the middle of each sermon is a narrative that connects to what he teaches. This first big sermon is the Sermon on the Mount, right? And we have all of these parallels between Moses and Jesus, like Jesus goes into Egypt, ex- escaping um, Herod and comes out of Egypt. He's, he's in the wilderness for 40 days. Israel's in the wilderness for 40 years. And here, and just as Moses was given the law from God at Mount Sinai, enacting or inaugurating the kingdom of Israel, he, this is when Jesus takes a group of slaves, just a small family, and makes them into a nation. Jesus is now uh, starting this new nation under himself, this new kingdom, and he gives them rules to live by. He says, this is what it means to be my citizen, and it's really about heart posture more than it is about the letter of the law. And so he's with the crowd. He went up to the mount, a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and be, he began to teach. Now, as you're looking at the book of Matthew, there's three primary audiences in which Jesus speaks to. There's his disciples who he instructs on how to follow him. There's a crowd who are making a decision. They don't know whether they want to be a disciple. They're just kind of checking him out. And so he gives them an invitation into his kingdom, but he also warns them against the Pharisees. And it's interesting because at the end of Jesus' ministry, the crowds are gone. Everyone has made a decision. Some are shouting, crucify him, and others have decided to follow him. At the end of our life, we'll all have made a decision as well. And then lastly, there's the Pharisees. This is kind of the alternate Jesus. 
Uh, they are the enemies to him. They oppose his message, and they end up being the ones to um, rally the crowd in shouting, crucify him. And to the, to the Pharisees, he is often rebuking him. So again, disciples, he teaches. The crowds, he uh, gives an invitation to. And the Pharisees, he rebukes. Now, when he's teaching in this moment, he's speaking primarily to his disciples. He's teaching them what it means to be a part of his kingdom. But he knows he's an earshot away from the crowds as well. And so there's this invitation to come in. And as we spend months, really, in the book of, um, in chapter 5 through 7, I just want us to be humbled that Jesus' words and sermons are reaching us. Isn't that crazy that we get to sit and listen to a sermon from Christ? Um, yeah, I just, I just love that. And he starts with this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, what does the word blessed mean? One of the most literal interpretations is happy. What will give you happiness? And we see how none of these things are correlated with happiness, right? Uh, uh, when we think about what the world values, it's the opposite of these things. Instead of being poor, we want to uh, poor in spirit. We want to be self-confident, self-reliant. We want to be wealthy. Uh, instead of mourning, we want to be pleasure-seeking. Instead of being meek, we want to be proud and important. Instead of being hungry, we want to be satisfied and filled with all kinds of things. Instead of being merciful, we tend towards being judgmental, having this ladder board mentality. Um, instead of being peacemaker, we want to gossip and compete. Instead of bring, being per persecuted, we want to be popular. And so when, when we think about what the world says happiness looks like, it's really the antithesis of being poor in spirit and mourning and, and being meek. And yet blessedness has a deeper meaning. It's saying that God is saying that you're blessed when you're in a right relationship with him. Because in this correct relationship, that's where happiness and joy outside of circumstance is surmised, is the source of. And when we are in poor in spirit, and when we mourn, and when we are weak, and when we are hungry and thirst for righteousness, we are positioned to be in correct relationship with the Lord. But I wonder, I wonder how often we come to church or how often we live life or approach God and instead of saying, God, I'm poor in spirit, we're like, I'm pretty okay. Or instead of being mourning and being desperate for him, saying, God, I'm hungry for you, we're just like casual and we feel we have enough and we feel comfortable or we're we're self-reliant because it's so easy to have God be something on the side, be, um, you know, just one, one of the sources of joy to our life. It's so much harder to be desperate. And yet those are the people God's searching for. I think about the person that Jesus goes into the home of. He's this tax collector who knows he's a sinner, 
trying to push through the crowds, and they won't let him in, so he climbs a tree, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your home tonight. I think about the blind man who hears people talk about this Jesus as they move across the road, and he starts crying out, Son of David, heal me. And people are trying to shush him and push him away and ostracize him because he's needy, he's desperate. People don't want that. And Jesus turns around and meets with him. I think about the woman who was unclean because of bleeding, again, pushing through the crowd, groping her way through to touch Christ. And I wonder if that's still the posture of our heart or if we're just okay. Um, We don't really cling to Jesus anymore. We're not desperate anymore. We have enough. Because Jesus is looking for the desperate, for the sick to heal, for the sinners to forgive. But we can come to him healed as saints and fulfilled and comfortable. But maybe this morning, maybe you see this poor in spirit and you're like, that's me. I know that my heart is in poverty that nothing in this world is going to fill me and I need Jesus. He says, you, the kingdom of God is for you. For those of us who are struggling with depression, for those of us who feel rejected and unwanted, for those of us who are mourning because of our sin or because of social anxiety, Jesus is saying, that's going to line up your heart with me and I will bring comfort to you. For those of us who aren't confident or who desire righteousness but feel like giving up and aren't sure if we're worthy to walk through the church doors, um, just feel the weight of our sin, Jesus is saying, I'll fill you with my righteousness. That in our sorrow, in our hunger, in our neediness, In some ways, there's that beautiful gift because it allows us to grapple for God, right? When our marriage is falling apart, when we can't control our kids, when when there's a, a place of shame in our life, when we're trying to make ends meet and we don't know if we're gonna be able to pay off rent, there's this aligning of our hearts to the Lord if we allow us. And it just kind of naturally pushes us at the feet of Jesus where we're crying out to him and, and he's saying there's a blessing there because he's going to meet us. And he, he loves that heart. And, and those are the people that are longing to be a part of his kingdom. And if that's you today, God wants to comfort you. God wants to invite you into his family and God wants to fill you. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So when we feel the emptiness of our soul, our emotions, and our sin, and turn to Jesus, we are blessed.
when we think about these opposing values, I wonder where we land. You know, if, we were, if you were to right now quickly go down the list and place yourself on one side or the other, where would you place yourself? Because it's so easy to be on the side of cultural values. And I think for those of us who don't fall in the needy category, um, which honestly is me right now. Like I've been very needy. um, And a lot of my sermon prep time has been kind of going back to that space when I felt depressed, when when I fought with Nina, when um, I was angry with my sin. Uh, I think a lot of my sermon prep this week was like, was that and struggling with the fact that I don't think I'm, I think where I really am is either self-sufficient or God-sufficient. Like, I don't really feel uh, this month has been celebrating Nina's birthday, celebrating the church's birthday, celebrating Liam's birthday, right? So I'm just like, filled with joy and feel blessed. And, and I'm like, does that mean I'm self-sufficient? Does that mean I'm in this wrong space with the Lord? So I think here are the options. We could either be needy, which a lot of us fall in that category. And I want to say there's blessing there because there's this natural alignment to our hearts with the Lord. It positions us to cling to him. And some of my most intimate times with the Lord is in that needy space. And I would say that the space I am now, though, is actually a dangerous space. So if you feel like, I don't relate to this needy part, I would say you are either self-sufficient or God-sufficient, right? So maybe in some ways you've experienced his comfort. You've experienced being filled by him. You experienced the mercy that he wants to show you. You feel close to him. Your identity is in the Lord. Um, you know, your, your reward is in heaven. Or you're in the self-sufficient area. And my challenge to you is like, when we are, when we are in the non-needy space, there's a tendency for us as Christians to go from the self-sufficient space to, or God-sufficient space to be self-sufficient again. So either we can look at the needy versus self-sufficient and be non-Christian or, or um, like a really new Christian and say, you know, I actually rather be self-sufficient. I'd rather be self-confident. I'd rather lean on my own righteousness. I'd rather uh, be about all the pleasures of the world. So that could be you this morning. Or you're a good Christian and you became God-sufficient because you're, you know that self-sufficiency isn't good, right? That's not the right answer. So you're like, I'm God-sufficient, but my challenge to you is like, it's so easy to go from God-sufficiency back into self-sufficiency. It's so easy. And that line is extremely blurred. And when you look at the patterns of, of Israel, which reflect our own hearts, it's always the cycle of, thank you, God, for delivering me. Thank you, God, for giving me what I need. Thank you, God, for forgiving my sins. And then we slowly move to that thank you, God, dependent God space into, you know, I'm a really good Christian. <laughs> I do all kinds of things for the Lord. Or I really, the stuff I have is because I earned it. Or, you know, when I, 
Or we could be that man who goes before, goes to the temple and just like, I'm, I don't really need God. Like, I'm not really desperate for him. I'm just, and then we just move straight into idolatry, right? We move straight into being comfort, comfortable. We move straight into self-righteousness. And then there's that red arrow, which I've experienced many times, where God kicks us out of self-sufficiency with some crisis or some like trial or we suffer from our own sins of self-sufficiency and then we become needy again and that's the book of first and second kings and so um we need to examine our hearts and really identify honestly where we're at if we're in this needy space i challenge us to bring our needs before the lord in really raw ways And know that Jesus has an eye for you. That you're in this space where your heart can be aligned to the Lord if you don't isolate and self-medicate. Because those are the temptations when we're hurting, right? It's to go to our addictions. It's to go to our sins to self-medicate. But what we really need to do and what what it, it can drive us to in a positive way is, man, God, I need you. But when we become God-sufficient, which is great because he's pulling us out of neediness and he places us in this great space of feeling joy and so on and so forth, I would say that we know we're in the God-sufficient part and we're not drifting to self-sufficiency when we remain humble instead of being judgmental, right? If, if you're like judging others, then you're probably self-sufficient and not God-sufficient. And so there's that fight for humility. There's that fight to know that my joy, my provision, my righteousness comes from the Lord and, and I need him and I'm nothing without him. And if he's gone, everything I have is gone. And if we don't have that humility, uh, we become self-sufficient. If we stop depending on him, we become self-sufficient. I think one of the best ways to not move in that direction is to be desperate for others, to use this humility and the richness that God's blessed us in this season to serve the people around us and to feel their pain and to reach out and, and, and bring them uh, toward the Lord in a humble way, not in a prideful way. And so for me, uh, this week, recognizing that I'm in this blurred space but wanting to be in the God-sufficient space, I was like, man, God, how do I serve the people around me? Because you have, I feel really rich right now. So not that I'm going to do all these things, but I almost naturally found myself looking at like water projects for Africa, praying about um, prison ministry again and looking up that website, um, reaching out to people in our community who I haven't seen for a while or who are new Christians, praying for the people I play volleyball with, that God would allow me to risk to, um, to share the gospel with them. And I think I'm looking for things that will push me out of my comfort zone so that I become needy in the Lord, but for others. Because right now, I don't feel needy for myself. But if I stay there too long, and I'm not going back to God in that needy space, then I become self-sufficient. And so I think a mature, a young Christian feels sufficient themselves, and then they're like, I'm good. And then they stay there for too long, and then they become self-sufficient, right? 
But a mature Christian says, I'm good. And then they bring, they go back into neediness for the world and for others and for their community. So that that space still takes them to their knees. It still challenges their faith. It still makes them act boldly. And I'm like, God, help me to do that um, in this place of God-sufficiency. And then I think there's, but the arrow is towards self-sufficiency because that's really where our heart naturally goes over and over again. And I've seen myself go there even in this season. As I am challenged by the Beatitudes, I think <laughs> there's this sense of, man, um, I can totally be about me right now. I can totally become judgmental. And I could totally um, like lift up comfort. And I could totally be about my own righteousness. And so how do I examine my soul deeper to see the parts that I'm not relying on God anymore? to see the parts of pride in my heart that maybe no one else sees, but I'm like, man, I, I know it's there. And how do I repent so that God doesn't send a crisis my way to push me back into neediness, so that my sin doesn't catch up with me to push me back into neediness by voluntarily go to neediness on my own um, before the Lord? Because there's more righteousness to be had in the Lord and more of my poverty to be seen in my heart, even now, right? There's more um, desperation to be had, even now. But I can just be okay. I can just fill my life with his blessings, my heart with his blessings, and say, oh, how long can I go without being desperate for the Lord with just the stuff he's given me? With Liam, with church, with Nina, with volleyball, how long can I go, you know? And maybe it's a while. I... That red arrow might seem painful, but it's really an act of grace um, to bring us away from our idols into on our knees with the Lord. It's, it's, a, it's like when you discipline your kid, right? And you're saying, I know you're happy now, just eating candy and sinning, you know? Like you're, you're, you feel pleasure, but it's corroding your character. It's corroding the people around you. It's, it's le- going to lead you to death. The red arrow is God forcing us to our knees, but it gives us character. It makes us love him again. It takes us away from pride and from away from a lifelong, uh, lifetime of sin. But man, I want to avoid that red arrow if I can. <laughs> Does this make sense to everyone? All right. So what is your spiritual condition? Um, how would you, where would you place yourself? in an honest way. Some of us have, are needy, and we're like, God, I need you, and let me celebrate that in some ways. Some of us are God-sufficient, but I would challenge you to examine your humility and dependence and desperation of others. If that's intact, maybe you're there. But, but the Pharisees thought they were there, and they were really self-sufficient. And so it's, it's a deceitful, it's easy to be deceived there, and to be self-examining in our self-sufficiency, all right? And um, asking, how would, God, how would you like God to direct your soul? What is it that you need right now in your soul in order to be about him, to be blessed?
Um, I know half us kind of break off into those same groups that we shared our whole like dating thing with. Because um, if you could share that, you could share this. And um, we'd love for us to pray for each other. We have about five minutes. And then I'll go ahead and invite us into communion. Okay? I'll pray for us to close and then you guys go into your small group. God, um, yeah, as I looked at the Beatitudes, I realized that um, I'm in a dangerous space because it's been a while since I've been on my knees crying out to you. It's been a while since I clung to your promises because I was in darkness and I wanted them to be true. It's been a while since I said, God, I need to see your face because all I see is depression and anxiety. And so I bless the people this morning who know they need you. I bless them, Lord, that today they would find you because you're looking for them. And I pray for those who are in my shoes because we need you too. And sometimes the blessing becomes a curse. The blessing becomes an idol. And so I just repent. And I pray that this week you would let me be desperate for you, for my soul and for the souls of others. And I pray for those of us who kind of just strolled into Sunday, who feel okay without you, that you would bring us to our knees. Because... I've been through that red arrow like enough times to know that uh, I don't want to be, I don't want to need that in my life. I just want to repent without it. Um, Yeah. So anyways, as we pray, as we talk to each other, pray that we could be honest and I pray that you would shepherd our hearts this morning and help us to shepherd each other. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to go ahead and take five minutes to talk and pray, and then uh, I'll come up and lead us in communion. The worship team will lead us in music.